One of the things I love to do in my travels across the diocese is to collect pictures of fonts, the place of baptism. I have a poster on my office wall of 24 fonts collected in a pilgrimage across Berkshire two years ago. I gathered some new pictures in the recent walk across North Bucks and I hope to turn them also into a similar poster. A font is one of the very few essential pieces of furniture in a church. You absolutely have to have one. And some of our fonts are very ancient indeed, hundreds and hundreds of years old. I love to stand next to them and imagine the generations of people who've come to baptism or brought their children to baptism down all the generations in an unbroken line of Christian witness. When I come to visit a church, I always notice where the font is. Normally, it's somewhere near the door, which is where it should be, I think. My favourite font in the whole diocese is in St Mary's in Ifley in Oxford. It's very big and square and very beautiful, but it's also gloriously in the way. You have to kind of squeeze round it to enter the church. That means you have to think about and remember your own baptism every time you return to the building. Over the years, many scholars have connected the first letter of Peter with the theme and practice of baptism. Baptism in the early church was mainly the baptism of adults coming to Christian faith from Judaism or from the worship of idols. Baptism meant and still means a radical new beginning, a fresh start. There's a direct reference to baptism in uh, 3.21, but there are several other passages which perhaps have their origin in words addressed to the candidates as they come to the waters of new life, including the beginning of 1 Peter 2. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy and all slander. This is an appeal for an inner cleansing or washing of our souls as we come to Christ for the first time and to the waters of baptism, or that inner cleansing at the beginning of a new week or the beginning of a new day. Peter continues with a second image. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is using similar language here to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul speaks of milk, not solid food. We all begin our Christian lives as infants in the faith, and we live our Christian lives in a pattern of continually returning to the centre and to the author of our faith, Jesus. Our churches all need to be places where those beginning the journey and those returning can find pure spiritual milk the guidance which will help them to make a good beginning in the faith. This is particularly important at present. Many of us are very tired and our churches are tired, and the temptation perhaps is only to do the minimum what is essential to get by for a while longer. But all around us, the people we serve are deeply rethinking their priorities and seeking spiritual support and help. Over the last few weeks, we've held the introductory webinars for Come and See, our big open invitation to the whole Diocese of Oxford to explore Christian faith in Lent of next year. 
I hope your church, wherever you are, will be able to find ways to offer this pure spiritual milk for beginners in the faith in Lent of next year, whether through come and see or in some other way. Almost immediately then, Peter moves to a third spiritual picture or metaphor. The first is throwing out the rubbish or perhaps setting aside dirty clothes. The second is the picture of spiritual food and drink. But the third is the picture of the living stones, a building. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is rich and beautiful imagery inspired by the temple in Jerusalem. At its heart is a call for the whole church to return to the centre, to the person of Jesus, as the source of strength and renewal. Peter, whose name, remember, means the rock, invites us to come not to Peter himself, but to Jesus, the living stone, who is the true source of the strength of the church. There is a paradox and a tension in this language of living stones, for we think of a stone as inanimate and without life. Through the power of the resurrection, God brings even the stones alive as part of creation. Christ is the deep rock and stability in our faith. Many passages from the Psalms come to mind. And this living stone of Christ has been rejected by mortals, yet is chosen and precious in God's sight of infinite worth and value. Peter will follow this verse with three quotations from Isaiah and the Psalms, which undergird this truth that God's chosen Messiah will experience suffering and rejection, and so by implication will the church. But there is a second important arm to this image. Christ is the living stone, but so are we. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house. Now, we have learned during the pandemic how important our church buildings are. But we've also learned more deeply than we did before that the church is not the building. The church is the community which gathers for worship, whether virtually or physically, and is sustained by the presence of the risen Christ in word and sacrament. It is we who are the living stones. Our life comes from the life of Christ within each of us, renewing and transforming us into his likeness. And note, if you will, that we are not called to build the church here. We're invited to let ourselves be built into a spiritual house. It is God who does the building. When I was much younger, I worked for a year as a gardener in a local park in Halifax for eight months between school and university. One of the people I worked with was a skilled dry stone waller. And his job was to build and repair the walls across the area without using any mortar or cement. He would do this very skillfully by studying the fallen stones before him and placing them one by one into the gaps so that each leaned on and supported the other, 
like a giant three-dimensional jigsaw. The foundation was key, of course, but so was the relationship between the different stones. Some were large and some were small. Together, they formed a wall which would hopefully stand in all weathers for many years and fulfill its purpose. And there's more still in the image as the verse turns again. Let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As baptized Christians, we are called to be not just the temple, but the priests in the temple. There is something very vital and fundamental being said here. In the temple in Jerusalem, and in the Old Testament from the time of the Exodus, only some were allowed to be priests and offer sacrifices in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the temple in Jerusalem. Only the high priest on one day of the year could enter the Holy of Holies, the very centre of the shrine, to perform a sacrifice before the presence of Almighty God. But now everything is changed. The temple is where God dwells, but that temple is not now in a single city made from great blocks of inanimate stones. God is building living stones into a house which will stretch across the world, a community, a place where God's glory dwells. And the priests in this temple are not a special group called and set aside. Every baptised Christian is called to this spiritual priesthood and to the same holiness. The sacrifices in this temple are not drink offerings or animals on the altar. The spiritual sacrifices we offer are the prayers and worship of the church and the daily offering of our lives in Christian service and in our everyday faith. These sacrifices are acceptable to God, not because we are special or because we are somehow good enough, but because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, and especially in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. As Peter writes in 1.8, we have been ransomed with the once and for all sacrifice, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. This is a radical reimagining of both the temple religion of the Old Testament and the worship of pagan idols across the entire Roman Empire. It's a radical transition from the Old Covenant to the New, from a physical temple to living stones being built into a spiritual temple resting on Christ the cornerstone, from some being priests and called to holiness to all being priests and called to holiness from physical sacrifices made in a physical temple to spiritual sacrifices offered by all Christian people everywhere in the daily outworking of our lives. In this moment, as we are regathering as the church, slowly and carefully and rethinking our priorities, it is so important to return to these fundamentals of our faith. And there is more to come. Peter offers us now three texts to reflect on, underlining the theme of the Christ who was rejected. And then he returns with grace and power to the nature of the church, the Christian community. 
these next verses can be misheard and misunderstood. They need, I think, something of a health warning. We need to remember that they were originally written to a church which was scattered, downtrodden and powerless, which was low in confidence, which was unsure of its direction and which needed to be lifted up and encouraged. Some of us are indeed in that place and that's why the letter is so powerful and helpful to the church throughout the world at the present time. But the warning is around what happens when these same verses are read to a church which is already powerful and sure of its own entitlement and goodness and uncritical of itself and overconfident. That certainly applies to some parts of the church today and to some parts of our own church. When read and heard by these parts of the church, the words can reinforce that sense of being chosen and entitled and superior and actually accentuate the spiritual danger we find ourselves in. So listen to these verses very carefully and hear them if you can from both points of view, from the downtrodden church and from the entitled church and see if you can hear both the blessing and the dangers. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his own marvellous light. Peter goes on then to quote Hosea, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, there's an accumulation of images here, which captures something of the mystery which is happening in the birth and rebirth of the church in every generation. A new community created by grace, not by entitlement. A community open to all who, through the gift of baptism, are indeed a new nation scattered among all the nations of the earth and who are able to lay claim only through grace to the title of becoming God's own people. And finally, for this reflection, why is it that God has set aside a people for himself and called us and given his son as our ransom and our foundation stone? The answer there is there in 2.9. That you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. The word proclaim in the original means to tell out. This part of the verse is lifted from Isaiah 43, 21. A people I formed for myself, that they might tell of my praise. And the meaning of that word for us is threefold. First, the proclamation of the mighty acts of God in our public worship. Every hymn and psalm and prayer is this proclamation. And especially the great prayer of the Eucharist, when the church gathers around the table of the Lord. Second, the proclamation uh, without words, through the spiritual sacrifices offered by every Christian, every living stone, in families, schools, workplaces, and wherever we exercise our everyday faith. Third, the proclamation is the witness we bear in giving an account of our faith, our evangelism and proclamation of Jesus Christ, together and from one person to another. This is the reason God has called a people for his own. 
1 Peter is written to strengthen the church in part for this proclamation, which is vital and important in our day. So may God bless you as you play your part in the regathering and resetting of the living stones and in these acts of proclamation in worship, in daily life and in our witness. Amen.